Hi, I'm Tony Mala, and welcome to the ASA Podcast, a program for automotive professionals that helps keep you ahead of what's now, what's new, and what's next in the business of automotive service and collision repair. This podcast is brought to you by the Automotive Service Association, dedicated to driving your success. And we'll be sharing information, insight, and inspiration that will not just help you make a living, it will help you make a difference. Hi, I'm talking with John Yaswick, editor and publisher of Crash Network, an industry newsletter devoted to the collision repair industry. John is a well-known editor. He has been covering the collision industry for quite some time. John, welcome to the show. Hey, Tony, it's a pleasure to speak with you, especially since we haven't been able to catch up in person since early this year. We're used to seeing each other on the road all the time. This COVID thing has got us all going stir crazy inside our houses. Thank God for Zoom. Yeah, I don't know what we'd do without it. <laughs> exactly. But John, how long have you been working in the uh, collision repair industry? You've been reporting on it for a long time. Yeah, I started back in 1989, actually, was my introduction to the industry. And then I've been freelancing since 1991, so a long, long time. And you've written for virtually every major publication in the collision industry, right, at this point? Yeah, I used to say I write for about two dozen publications, and that's whittled down a little bit, but yeah, quite a few publications over the years. And you have been publishing the Crash Network since? Well, Crash Network was launched in 1994. It's a weekly email newsletter, and I became the editor and publisher of Crash Network about a dozen years ago. There's a a few things that I think set Crash Network apart. First, we know shop owners are busy, so we keep it short. We get you the key points you need to know about it half dozen, maybe eight topics each week. And it's all in one digest that doesn't require logging in or scrolling through multiple pages or being bombarded with ads. Second, like me, I think you know my colleague, Chuck Kogan, Tony, he's also had a long career doing research and reporting in this industry. And we're pretty confident that between us, Crash Network has the most experienced editorial staff in this industry. Which is one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you today. Given the current situation, What did you see happening around the industry in this unusual year? What's the perspective from your view as an editor? You talked, Tony, in the intro about using this podcast to help your listeners keep them in the know in terms of what's what's now, what's new, what's next. Do I have that right? You do. Yeah, very good. And, And that's really what we strive to do for Crash Network subscribers as well. This year in particular, we've given our subscribers, tried to give them a glimpse into other shops during a time when most of us haven't been able to interact and share ideas with colleagues at industry events. So one thing we've been doing this year is helping our subscribers hear from one another about best practices, marketing ideas, changes to shop operations that they've made this year. We're also helping shops understand how what they see happening at their own business compares to the industry as a whole. For instance, um, let's talk about shop revenues. We've had a group of shops that have been reporting their monthly revenues to us throughout this year. And those 160 shops had combined sales in February of about 35 million. So that's pre-pandemic. And that translates to an average of about 220,000 per shop for that month. They saw that fall in March, though only slightly. But not surprisingly, sales fell sharply in both April and May. So if anyone listening to this, if your shop's sales in May were off by one third or so, that goes right along with the industry averaging that we were seeing. And sales rebounded somewhat in June and July, with July revenues being off about 16% when compared to February. But some preliminary numbers we have for late summer make it look like sales leveled off or even fell a bit in August. So we still think the industry as a whole is down about 16 or 17% from their monthly sales pre-pandemic. 
but that certainly varies by market. Some of the hail states sh shops are doing pretty well, while others areas have been harder hit. I talked to a shop owner in, in California this week whose his sales are still down 40%. That's kind of what we've been hearing all around the industry, to be honest with you. Most of the shops on the mechanical side had a big downturn in the spring, but a lot of that has come back. But I know on the collision side, it, it hasn't come back quite as quickly. And it is very regional, as you had mentioned. Some shops in some areas are doing great, others not so much. Yeah. You have any other measurements about how shops are doing that beyond the ones you mentioned during the pandemic? Yeah, we've done the same type of sampling looking at employment numbers and a group of about 270 shops that we're tracking combined, they had 3,200 full-time employees in August or an average of about 12 employees per shop. Pre-pandemic in March, those same shops had an average of about 13 full-time employees per shop. So one more than they had in August. So employment by that measure, looks like it's down eight or 9% overall, but that's better than what we were seeing in April and May when employment numbers were down by twice that, by more like 15 or 18%. We also do a quarterly measurement of shops backlog, asking shops if a customer wanted to schedule their car in for repair, how long would it be before the shop could start on it? And not surprisingly, backlogs this past spring dropped more than we had seen since we began measuring backlogs four years ago. Back in January, the national average backlog was more than two weeks, and that fell to just under five days in April. And the good news is that it's bounced back somewhat. In July, it was 8.2 days, and we'll have the most recent backlog data available in early November. Are there any segments of the collision market that are maybe not doing as, as poorly or, or, or better, however you want to put it. For example, if a shop has more than one location, are they doing better? Are multi-shop operators doing okay? Do you have any feel for that? Uh, we do a little bit, but it, it almost seems more based on markets than type of shop. Again, like I said, uh, if the, you've been, been in an area with storms, hail, or other weather, you, they tend to be doing better across the board and shops in other markets whether they're franchise or independent or MSO, they all seem to be pretty similarly hit. Interesting. I know one of the things that Crash publishes that, that I pay a lot of attention to is your surveys, your who pays for what survey in particular. You've quoted a lot of statistics up until now, but that who pays for what has been pretty consistent. You do those with Mike Anderson of Collision Advice, right? Yeah. Since um, 2015, we've teamed up with Mike to do those surveys each quarter, we ask about 25 not included labor procedures or estimate items. So over the course of four surveys during a year, we were asking shops about 100 different not included procedures or line items. Things like, you know, applying weld through primer, mm -hmm. duplicating the OEM texture of seam sealer, inspecting seat belts, color tinting, masking the engine compartment, things like that. And these are things that shops are often doing, and they may or may not choose to charge for them. But we want them to at least have some information as they make that choice as to whether to, to charge for them or not. So the Who Pays survey asks participants which of these items they bill for and how regularly they are paid for that item by eight national insurance company when the shops are billing those insurers on behalf of their customers. So we find out, for example, that 45% of shops this year said they're paid always or most of the time when they bill to mask for priming. Yet about a third of shops acknowledge they've never attempted to collect for the labor to do that operation. Any particular reason why not? Oftentimes, I think they 
either don't know or don't remember that it's not included, or they may choose, for instance, if they're a direct repair shop for that particular insurer, they may choose not to do it. We just want them to make kind of an educated decision about whether to charge for that operation when they do it. And you've been doing the who pays for what survey. When did you start again? 2015. And we've actually seen some changes over that time in that five years that we've been doing. And one procedure where we've seen a big shift is in the percentage of shops billing for and being paid for their administrative time for processing a total loss. That process, as you know, Tony, has become increasingly complex for shops as insurers shift more of the work and responsibility onto the shops. Back in 2015, three in 10 shops said they'd never billed for that. That's been cut by more than half. And now only 13% of shops said they haven't billed for processing a total loss. And among those that are charging for it, the percentage who say they are paid regularly also has risen. Back in 2015, less than half of shops said they were paid always or most of the time when they billed for their admin time to process a total loss. Now 68% of shops are. So that's gone up like 20 percentage points. Another one is the labor to perform destructive testing of welds prior to welding on a vehicle. That's something that's called for by all the automakers. And Mike really believes that the surveys have raised shops' awareness of this. Back in 2015, the vast majority of shops, 81%, had never billed for this procedure when they were doing that work. And that's been cut in half. And about a third of shops now say they're paid always or most of the time for performing destructive testing of welds. And I should mention that everyone who participates in the survey receives a free report with all the results. And that report includes some tools and resources that can help them put the findings to use in their business. But I tell shops, even if you never look at the report, other participants tell us that just taking the survey is a good way to educate or remind your staff about not included procedures you're, you're doing, but may not be billing for. And, you know, Tony, as we talked about this, Mike has such a passion for using the who pays for what surveys to help the industry that he'd probably be a great one to have on a future podcast to talk about them some more. That sounds like a great idea. Mike has worked with ASA over the years in a number of different ways. We'll have to get Mike on the, uh, on the podcast. You had mentioned surveying the shops and just taking the survey, you know, uh, can benefit a, a shop's operation by being aware of what they're missing. Perhaps how can a shop get involved in the survey? How, how do you do that? Well, the, the current survey is, is ending soon. So to participate, you can go to Mike's website, which is collisionadvice.com or our website, crashnetwork.com. And from either site, you can find a link to the survey. Or if you've got your email, uh, your phone or something handy, you can just open up your email, send a blank email to survey at crashnetwork.com and we'll get you on the list to send you more information. So it can just be a blank email to survey at crashnetwork.com. Crash Network's all one word. And Tony, I should mention that the surveys themselves aren't short, especially the first time or two you do one. It's going to take you 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes, maybe even a half an hour. But as you get familiar with the format, it gets faster. And as Mike says, if it just serves as a reminder of three or five or seven line items, you might choose to bill for when it's appropriate to do so. That can offer your business a pretty good return on investment for the hour or two you spend over the course of a year to complete all four surveys. Yeah, it sounds like it. How many shops typically participate in each survey? Do you have a range that you shoot for? We never shot for a target, but and I've been doing surveys in this industry for decades, and I could not believe the first time we did one of these, we got 
think the first survey got 700 participants. I never seen a survey in this industry that had more than two or 300 people take it. And we're consistently getting 700 or more shops participating in sometimes over a thousand surveys. So it's really, really good data. So, yeah, that sounds like it's projectable. That's great. Yeah. Another project I've seen Crash Network doing is something you call the insurer report card. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, Tony, my sister works in the medical field. She's a billing liaison between healthcare providers and insurers. So like shop, she's really aware that there's a difference among insurance companies. When I've been deciding which health insurer I want to get for my own coverage, I've asked her about what she sees. Similarly, you know, shops have lots of experience seeing how different auto insurers treat their insureds and claimants. And we wanted to help channel that experience and perspective in a way to educate consumers. So the insurer report card allows a shop to grade insurers from A to an F, just like a report card in school. The grade you assign is based on a simple question. How well does that insurance company's claims handling practices help ensure quality repairs and customer service for vehicle owners? And I did my first survey like this for one state association clear back in 1990. So I, I know this isn't a new or a unique idea, but what sets our insurer report card apart from other surveys like it is you're not just grading the top 10 national insurers, some of which may not even do a lot of business in your state. You actually have the opportunity with the insurer report card to confidentially grade the 20 or 25 largest auto insurers in your particular state. Hmm. The result is that we get to develop a grade for 60 or 70 or even 80 different insurance companies. And that includes some smaller or regional carriers that consumers may not be as familiar with. And in past years, some of those insurers have been among some of the companies receiving the highest grades from shops. So we put the findings out in a report that's free to everyone, including to consumers. If enough shops from your state participate, we also report the findings specific to your state. And for the largest insurers like State Farm Progressive, the report shows if there's a difference in how that insurer's DRP shops graded it versus shops not on the program. And we explain to consumers why there might be that difference and what that could mean. And Tony, in your intro, you say you try and use this podcast to bring information to the industry that, that helps them make a difference, right? And we feel the same way about the insurer report card. We see it making a difference. We see insurance companies paying close attention to it. We've seen state insurance regulators downloading the report. We see that insurers getting the best grades are using that fact in their marketing. Interesting. Again, if someone wants to participate in that, how do they do it? It's pretty simple. Again, it's open. The survey's open now through November, and it just takes three or four minutes, maybe a little longer if you provide some comments about the grades that you give different insurers, and we love getting those comments. So to participate, you can visit our website, crashnetwork.com, crash network, all one word, or do what I mentioned earlier, send a blank email to survey at crashnetwork.com, and we'll send you some more information. Participating, you're helping give better insurers a way to compete for customers, and it also provides you with a tool you can use to help educate your customers about something that they can think about other than just price when choosing an auto insurer. How many shops actually do that? Do you have any feel for that? That's another one where I've been really surprised. The first year we did it, we had 1,200 shops participate. The second year we did it, we had a few less, but it was still over 1,000 shops. So we get really good response for that. 
And obviously it works because it has been around for quite some time. And I know that a lot of the data that you share in the industry is it's a deep dive really into what the overall industry is doing. Where's Crash going? As you said, you're the publisher and editor. You've had the newsletter for quite some time now. What direction do you feel like you need to go in uh, after the pandemic? More of the same or, or do you see any new opportunities out there? We're certainly seeing a lot of interest in the newsletter this this year. We've I think people are really hungry for information, and if they're kind of uh, on lockdown within their own shop, they're really hungry to find out what's going on out there. So we're going to keep doing a lot of the same. But the great thing about being a subscription newsletter is our subscribers tell us what they want, and that's what we try and go for. So if we go in a different direction, it's because our subscribers are asking us to do that. You've been watching the industry. For longer than, again, either one of us would care to admit, but any final thoughts or observations? Well, and I hope this doesn't come across as a shameless plug, but I guess the Who Pays for What and the Insure Report Card are two of the projects that we do at no charge to shops. So if your listeners think that these are useful and valuable tools that could make a difference for their business, they can help support them by first taking some time to participate and at least giving a some consideration to subscribing to Crash Network. It's our subscribers that help make sure we keep doing the research and the reporting we do to bring them information and research that they tell us that they want and, and need. It's certainly something I know that has a lot of credibility within the industry. And with someone like yourself helming it, your depth of experience within the collision industry kind of speaks for itself. Any observations from your perspective on when you think that the business will bounce back to a semblance of what it was pre-pandemic? Any feel for where we're going there? Well, like you, I'm at home a lot these days, so I'm not out on the roads as much. It's definitely going to be partially based on traffic levels, of course, as you can imagine. But when I talk to shops who have gone through past downturns, most of them are saying it's probably going to be at least maybe another year before things really rebound. Hmm. But this one is unique. It's just not a recession. It's it's based on the the pandemic and the response to the pandemic. So, boy, it's really hard to say for anybody to know exactly what's going to happen. But a lot of people are are pretty confident that by this time next year, things will be a little bit closer to normal. From your lips to God's ears, let me tell you, Uh, I know we've been talking to a lot of shops in the industry, again, both on the mechanical and collision side, and they kind of mirror what you just said. Most people feel that once we get a vaccine out there, I think a lot of people are expecting that to kind of kickstart things back up, but it's probably not going to be next week. And it sounds like for the most part, the collision industry is coping as best it can with it. We just asked shops what their outlook is for the coming year. And I was pretty encouraged because 75%, I believe, is the stat said they're feeling positive or very positive about the coming year. So I think there's a, there's a fair amount of optimism, even despite things uh, not being as good as they were before this all hit us. Well, again, optimism uh, is a good thing. Yeah. Well, John, it's been a pleasure. I really thank you for your time today. Any final thoughts before I let you go? Oh, I just really appreciate the chance to talk to you, Tony. I hope you and everyone at ASA, along with your your podcast listeners, stay healthy as we go into the holiday season. We have been talking with John Yaswick, editor and publisher of Crash Network and a good friend of the industry. For more information, again, John, your website is? Crashnetwork.com, all one word. Again, John, thanks for your time today. Have a great day and stay safe out there. Thanks, Tony. We'll talk to you soon. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you're brand new to the ASA podcast or if you've been here before, I encourage you to subscribe so you won't miss some of the great things we have coming up in our future episodes. 
Just hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening and you'll be good to go. If you enjoy our podcast and find our content valuable, make sure to leave a rating and review wherever you are listening to this. And if you're an automotive service facility shop owner listening to this podcast and you'd like to know more about ASA, I invite you to visit our website at asashop.org. I'm Tony Mala, and thanks for listening.